0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives podcast. I'm Adam Turtletell from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics in Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Connecticut is Richard Bistron. Richard is CEO of Frontline bribery And today we're going to be talking about an article he co-wrote with Ron Carucci and Dina Smith for Fast Company Magazine entitled, Research Shows High-Performing Employees Are More Prone to Unethical Mistakes. Uh, it's a very intriguing topic. Richard, I'm glad we get to talk about it. And to me, what's interesting and I think challenging for business is that don't mess with success is pretty much a mantra that you hear over and over again. And you believe that may be a dangerous belief to hold. Can you explain why?
1: Well, thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure to be back on the podcast. And it is sort of a counterintuitive proposition that our best performers might be more prone to ethical lapses. And I think there are a couple of pillars of that, and one is success block scrutiny, right? It's not always intuitive to say what's going on well in the organization and let's turn over that rock and see what lies underneath. So I think, and the research really demonstrates this, that we might sort of give our high performers a hall pass or give them a long leash in terms of not trying to get in the middle or in the way of their success. So, you know, and and the more successful people are, you know, the more they become addicted to success. And I can appreciate this personally to where you think you are the the corporate hero, right? You're delivering great results. And the, the challenge of being a corporate hero, Adam, is once you have corporate hero status, you never wanna give that up. And that might lead to corner cutting, circumventing policies, rules, procedures, and even the law to keep that sort of financial gain addiction going. So I think if we're not careful, and I saw this in my own former commercial Richard, bad behavior can hide behind great performance until it's too late for everyone.
0: Well, you know, and I guess as you were saying that I was thinking of the fact that everybody always wants more business wants more we all tend to want more and after a while it's hard to understand that more may not be possible anyway. in a good way it's only going to come from bad things and people don't like facing up to that. But by the same token, clearly not all high performers are trouble and, and rule breakers. What do you think leads some to cross the line and keep on going? Is it nature, nurture, or, or a bit of both?
1: I think it's both. <laughs> and, you know, again, you know, reflecting on that, you can have a high performer. And as you Will said, they're not all tr- trouble and rule breakers. And they certainly don't start off that way in the cases that we looked at. So I think what happens as you share is as we become more successful, we don't want that to end. Even though success is at best, as it's defined in the S curve, right? It, it has peaks and valleys, but high performers don't want to give that up. There's a great book called Both End Thinking by Wendy Smith and Marion Lewis. And Adam, they talk about the rabbit hole of success, and I think that really describes it, is once we're in that rabbit hole of success, we sort of have a a survival culture mentality. And, you know, it takes corporate and compliance warfare, as they describe it, to get you out of that rabbit hole. And those are some of the things that you and I have talked about before in terms of biases like loss aversion and trying to maintain the status quo that can sort of move those high performers into that zone of, you know, maybe inappropriate behavior, maybe unethical behavior, and hopefully not illegal behavior. So I don't think it starts off that way. But I think the longer we are successful, high performing, the more we don't want to give that up. And a lot of organizations in the cases we looked at can make this even more difficult where they might rely on a high performer to deliver like a disproportionate amount of return to the company. In my case, there were other divisions that weren't performing very well, so they were looking to me to say, look, you have been doing very well in international sales. You can help make up for the deficit that we're experiencing in the other markets. And that's, you know, that's a very, I mean, it's a nice expectation, Adam, but it's also a very dangerous expectation.
0: Well, I think also, as you're talking about, I was thinking of the adulation that goes through it. People like the praise, and that adds to it. And, you know, it gets into senses of self worth, which is all, you know, very heady and can be very problematic. To me, this gets back to the fact that any incentive plan is a roadmap for risk. Reward people for achieving X and someone is going to bend or break the rules to get there. Yet compliance teams, to my experience and knowledge, rarely have any say in or even see compensation plans for organizations. How do you think we can change that dynamic?
1: Well, that's right, Adam. And I remember I don't it was quite some time ago that the SCCE did a survey. If compliance leaders did have a voice in compensation plans, and if memory serves correct, most often they did not. So what I see with a number of my clients is that there is greater cross-functional cooperation in that the compliance teams are having a voice and sitting down with their business peers when these incentive plans are being designed because like prescription medication, Adam, all rewards have side effects, right? That's (laughs) inevitable. So the question is, you know, how do we get the voice of the importance of how business gets done intertwined in the voice of get the business done? And Ron Carucci has a lot of data about the value of cross-functional cooperation and collaboration. In designing those incentive plans so they're not dangerous right we don't want a dangerous and perverse reward plan so again it's it's getting a seat at that table from my perspective i've seen more organizations bringing in that voice of compliance to make sure that they're not designing reward systems which even with the best of intentions can point people in the wrong direction And even to have some non-financial gain aspect of incentives, like how many times as a business leader have you invited your compliance peer to lead one of my sales meetings or one of your sales meetings? So there are a lot of non-financial gain rewards, building diverse teams, building an ESG initiatives that can also help to balance out rewards.
0: There's a lot of good to unpack in what you just said. Um, and I, I gotta say I particularly like this concept that all rewards, like all prescriptions, have side effects. I think it's something that's often overlooked. Yeah, I want to go back though for a second to something that you talked about before, which is when, you know, an, an organization, somebody's done great in it they want more. It strikes me that no one ever says that was a crazy great year you had. We know it's not going to happen again next year. So it's fine. Instead, there's this belief that we should always challenge people to do more. I don't think we're ever going to change that. Do you? And if not, how do we better run compliance programs in a world where no success can't be outdone?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And and you're right. No one's going to say, you hit it out of the ballpark this year, and we know you're not gonna do it again. That We know that conversation's not having. But a conversation that we can have is, you had an, a wonderful year, and we're also not only valuing your success on the financial rewards, but we're also acknowledging that you did it in the right way. So that's sending a message to our high performers that we care how they got the business done just not the financial gain of getting the business done i think that sends a loud message and then um it's just it's not that complicated and speaking as former commercial richard just to say what does next year look like right we we know this was a, a stellar year tell us what the marketplace might bring us next year what do we need to prepare for How can we support you? And then you've got a non-defensive, open feedback loop as to what expectations should be in the following year or the year after that, so that goals and objectives don't run afoul of reality. So that's not an easy conversation, but it's one that I think will benefit both parties.
0: So, there's already a belief of many in business that compliance just gets in the way. I can see how anything dealing with the risk of high performers can end up compounding the problem. How do we avoid that pitfall to bring out the thing that you talked about, which is saying, we want you to have a great year, but we want you to have it in a great way?
1: I mean, I think one of the ways we can do that, and Wendy and Mary talk about this in their book, is are we connecting our rewards, and our good performers with the company's dream, its values, its mission, its purpose. And I often call that the why of compliance, right? Why we have these policies, rules, and procedures. So are you continually sharing with your high performers that, look, there's a reason why we have these rules. It's to protect you and the organization, you know, as the guardian and the gatekeeper to our company's values, mission, and purpose. And one of the scary things that I often see in my client work is I will put organizational values up on a slide and I'll ask, does anyone know what these are? And all too often, people don't. They don't know their own values. But those are the things, that mission, that purpose that I really think can drive us when we're facing difficult circumstances and an obvious ethical solution is not at hand. So, so how do we avoid that pitfall, that business, you know, that compliance just gets in the way? Well, let's maybe spend a little bit more time on why we have ethics and compliance to start with. And I think connecting that with that greater sense of purpose can go a long way. And I think we have a little way to go on that.
0: That, unfortunately, we definitely do, but hopefully we can do it, and truthfully, if we can get the highest performance to understand that important point, that compliance is there to help enable success, not prevent it, it'll go a long way to showing everyone else the same thing. Well, Richard, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us again. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Taup from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.